Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a first-time filmmaker's journey. I am your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us, as always, is our so-called first-time filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hello, Josh. How are you? I'm very good. And I got I got to move on, Christian. I can't I can't chat. I know you want to talk, but we got too many people on the podcast today. We got to introduce. Uh, next is the executive producer of The Girl Who Wore Freedom, David Patterson. Welcome, David. Hey, how's it going? Good. Coming all the way from the good part of Long Island. Welcome. And who we could never do this without, Jeff Kurtnacker. <laughs> I was going to say Jason. <laughs> Jeff Kurtnacker, welcome. I'm sure you, uh, thank you. I'm sure you could do without me, but I appreciate you having me on. Well, I got to say, I watched the film again uh, last week uh, and uh, well done on the music. Great thank job. You. I appreciate uh, it. It means a lot to me. I appreciate it. And then Jason Rugg, the guy we really just, none of this would be, would have ever, none of this would have come together if it wasn't for Jason well, Rugg. That's for sure. But I do miss you calling him our trusty, dusty researcher, button pushing guy, researcher extraordinaire. extraordinaire. Yeah, Jason Rugg. Uh, yeah. Anyway, Jason, we love having you here. And, you know, he's also of the Movie Proposal podcast, just, you know, saying. He is. And he looks frozen. So if he, he does look anything. He's I, perpetually funny. happy. <laughs> he looks very happy. Yeah, At least he doesn't happy. have this weird look on his face, you know. It looked like a, cere- a celebrity picture release, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like. We should have gotten that screenshot. Um, well, Christian, we yeah. have a lot to talk about today. Why don't we kick off with an update on the film? Yeah. So thank you very much. We do have a lot to talk about. So we are coming to the very end of our first month um, after having been released. And again, just to recap where we are released, uh, we are in Canada on the Shaw Cable uh, Network. Um, We are on the Cineflex store and iTunes in Canada. And then we are on iTunes slash Apple TV here in the United States. So um, what has this ride looked like over the last four weeks? Well, it's been an interesting journey. Um, We have learned a lot uh, over this time that I would love to share with people. Um, As of today, I mean, I haven't really checked in the last hour, but as of today, we are not, uh, you know, in the top 200 on the iTunes, you know, top doc uh, chart. Um, However, that is a very volatile chart. It seems to update, I don't know, every minute or so. And so our position really from the beginning has changed dramatically. It started off, you know, in the 100s, eventually moving up to uh, position number seven on D-Day. And then for the next two weeks, it kind of moved down the charts. Um, And, you know, now I'm just kind of scrolling through and we are not on the top you know, 200 list, unfortunately, um, which of course was a bit very bothersome. We were trying to figure out what the algorithm is and how do we game the system and how do some people stay up there all the time. And what I've learned is there's not a lot a filmmaker can do uh, to really affect where you are. Um, now, that being said, as I look back, The initial marketing push that we did on social media and through our email marketing, um, that was hugely successful because it got us to 131 film reviews and a five-star rating. And so that was, you know, very helpful, I think, um, 
as people looked at, uh, you know, I don't know, looked at our movie. And so I certainly think that that was, that was worth it. Um, and right now we are still sitting with five stars and 132 reviews. So there's no question that push that we did uh, was very helpful to our cause in terms of ratings and reviews. Um, and we made a lot of sales. We know that we made probably around 400 sales. They call it 400 units to date. Um, you know, through iTunes, most of those are purchases. And, um, you know, in trying to figure out sort of how the, the doc charts rank, you know, originally we were told that it really was your ratings and reviews and your sales that kind of kept you up there. But we did a bunch of things to try. We had a bunch of people buy a bunch of copies and share them around. And that never really seemed to make a difference. We did have people review after we sort of dropping down, but that didn't bump us back up. Um, so I did ask a distributor um, that we've become friends with, uh, you know, what their, you know, what they knew about how that works. And what they told us was that the top docs chart on iTunes is 100% based on the amount of sales in a given time period. So if the girl who wore freedom got a hundred downloads in a minute, then it would appear at the top doc section, you know, up near the top. And if it doesn't stay selling at that pace, then it'll fall down the charts. So that really is dependent upon your sales as to how close to the top you are. Um, now there's another section you'll see in iTunes called the new and noteworthy sections. And the new and noteworthy is not based on how many sales you make. It actually is based on iTunes putting you there or Apple putting you there. Uh, and distributors will make a pitch in hopes of getting one of those top banner spots included in that new and noteworthy. Um, but what I was told was that placement is very hard to get. And the only way that it stays there is if it sells at a good clip. However, most of those placement blocks on the new and noteworthy is taken up by the studios and is given to them uh, by Apple because of the millions of dollars that they already spent on advertising. So, um, you know, you might ask, how does a distributor quote unquote pitch to Apple um, you know, are they paying money or are they, you know, how do they, how does that pitch, you know, meet success? And so what I learned was that, uh, that the distributors really do have to have a relationship to some degree um, with Apple. And they will then begin in the very early stages of a project, present them a sales presentation with the artwork and the synopsis. And as they get closer to the release date, uh, they inform them of, you know, what marketing and press is behind that film, um, you know, should they feature the film. Uh, and so really, at the end of the day, it's up to iTunes as to who goes in that new and noteworthy section. So, you know, that's what we've learned. Uh, it's been a little disappointing, I think, um, because we have not ended up anywhere else other than iTunes. That's extremely disappointing to, to date. Um, and the other thing we've learned about that is that, and this is my one piece of advice. If you're a filmmaker listening and you're about to do a deal with a distributor or you hope to one day, I think one of the main things that you should ask and get to the bottom of is what kind of relationships does that distributor have 
with outlets. And there's a whole bunch of them. Um, I actually was compiling a list with David earlier uh, this week about different outlets that a distributor can pitch to. And I've got this whole list sitting in front of me, you know, CBS Online, Paramount Plus, ESPN, Netflix, A&E, History Channel, Hulu, Amazon Prime, Imagine Entertainment, YouTube Premium, Netflix, Roku, Peacock, Disney Plus, HBO Max, HBO, Discovery Plus, Epic, Showtime, CNN Films, Apple Plus, PBS, Stars. They can pitch to Hoopla, which is the library. Christian, I think we only have like an hour or two for this podcast. (laughs) I don't know if you're going to be able to cover all the distributors. I'm uh, not, but I want people to hear those are like the, the main ones. And my point is, I think the distributors really do need to have a relationship with a buyer at those places. Um, Oftentimes, they will have a um, profile at iTunes or Amazon where it's really like a store and they can upload their films there and sell them on um, a transactional basis like ours is right now on Apple and iTunes. Uh, But at the end of the day, um, you know, you really do want to make sure that the distributor you choose to have a relationship with um, has a relationship with some of those bigger companies. That's advice number one. Advice number two is I've learned this week, and David, you can speak more to this, that we could have done a deal probably for 18 months as opposed to five years. You can choose the length of a deal that you want to sign. And um, so I would always say, see if that distributor would sign a shorter deal than a longer one. And, you know, so that you can find out how that's working for you after you're really released. What do you think, David? Yeah, I don't think any distributor is going to give you an 18 month. Uh, You might be able to get it down to to two years. Actually, I just heard of of a filmmaker that got that 18 months. But with what distributor? One that we are very familiar with. Oh, okay. That's your name. Okay. That's not going to be in. The simple fact is um, distributors are like shoe salesmen. Okay. So they got a bunch of shoes they have to sell. They have certain stores that will always buy one pair. They have other stores that they want to get into. Uh, And those stores that they want to get into, they'll even say, oh, we have relations with them, which means they may have an email. Uh, they may not even have a phone number. And so when they're saying, yes, yes, we've, we, we've dealt with them before dealt could simply be mean, yeah, we've, we've sent them a couple movies and they said no to us. Uh, we know the person who can say no to us. Um, the distributorship is, is always tough. Anyone can get a film distributed today. That wasn't always the case. 10, 15 years ago, you could make a movie and it would never see the light of day, but even an independent filmmaker can get it on a streaming service somewhere. In the end, what's the quality of the service? How much money are you getting? And what percentage are you getting on anything that's sold? One of the biggest challenges we've had is our audience, and there's a huge audience, don't do the phone thing. You know, these are people that are above 30. Um, that's, I would say that's the majority of our audience. And they, they want DVDs. They want to see it on a TV screen. They would love to see it in a movie theater. And so trying to tell, you know, your dad to go buy something on his phone, it's, they don't want to do that. You know, in fact, half of them will have to get you to buy it on their phone for them because they don't even know how to do that. 
Um, so when it comes to distri distribution, and I've told um, Christian this from day one, your best salesperson is you. And so you always have to continue to figure out what can I do to sell uh, my movie? And, and that's exactly what she's been talking about, the algorithms and all that other stuff on, on um, iTunes. But also uh, with the distributor, what you give them and what you keep. And that's another thing that we've been reflecting on because we want to push our distributor to do DVDs, you know, and for most distributors they are like, well, DVDs are kind of old school, you know, not a lot of people do that. But again, our audience do, you know, they like DVDs, they like the solid structure of it and something that they can put into their older devices uh, and and watch again and again and again, as opposed to I got it on my phone. Uh oh, somehow I erased it. Darn it. I'm not going to buy it again. You know, I see well, some people laughing, so they know about that. Well, and, you know, quite frankly, David, you are 100 percent right. That is one of the very biggest things that we faced. I, I got an email just yesterday. I bought this on iTunes and I can't figure out how to make it play. I mean, that's somebody going to my website, sending me an email, asking me to help them figure out how to play this movie. Um, and so we started generating this DVD presale list to see how much interest there was. And our inbox has been flooded. When I've gone to screenings, people want those DVDs. And it, it doesn't seem like it should happen because we feel like, you know, those are the way of the dinosaur. But when you're talking about this older audience um, and it's challenging with your distributor because they may not see the dollars there. It may not make financial sense for them to make DVDs um, because they don't know where they can sell them. Um, but I know if we don't make DVDs, we are losing money. Um, and so, you know, so, you know, and should you can't just hold it against the distributor because the distributors don't make five copies. Right. Generally, they have to make, I think the, the smallest number is between 500 and a thousand. So if they're going to make that, where are they sticking them, <laughs> you know, right. for that time? Uh, I can honestly tell you from working on much larger films, uh, you can really suffer from that because one distributor made a huge number uh, and then they charge you for sitting in the warehouse and then they charge you a fee called returns, meaning they promise to sell a bunch and if they don't, they take them back, charge you for basically holding on to them and resend them. But if whoever doesn't buy them at another store sends them back, they charge you again. And so you can make, say, I'll just say $500 on DVDs, but then they'll charge you $300 for returns. And so that's why distributors don't like to do DVDs because they don't want to sit on them. But also that's why a filmmaker has to be careful because they can end up losing money on a DVD deal. So um, it's again, that's what I like to think that I'm helping Christian with in my position as a producer to say, well, let's figure this out and uh, see how we can maximize this. Uh, again, with this um, movie, it's great, has great educational value. So we wanna look at how we can probably sell it to colleges and universities on either streaming levels or in DVDs. And that's not something that we've exhausted or really even jumped into at this point. And so that's another venue uh, to pursue. I, again, for filmmakers, they need to understand that it's you make a movie, it doesn't just have to be in a movie theater. It doesn't just have to be 
on iTunes. There are many, many venues and avenues to pursue outside of traditional. One thing that we're talking to is independent theaters throughout the US to do screenings uh, around holidays, like around the 4th of July, not this because we just sort of just released, but around Veterans Day, around Memorial Day, for them to, to take it for a night. And then we would help reach out to veteran organizations, uh, the Boy Scouts, you know, things like they might find interesting. And so then you can pack that theater for a night. I'm sure some people are familiar, it's called four walling. It's basically, you know, you still have the rights to screen your movie without having to give a lump sum to someone else and you fill the theater and that's profit. You know, that's definite profit that, that you can make. So you need to explore other venues to make money on your film. And yeah. Speaking of which, just so you know, uh, the library streaming service is called Hoopla. The education one is called Canopy, K-A-N-O-P-Y. Um, and, you know, you do want to make sure that your distributor has the ability to release them there. Uh, you don't make a lot there, obviously, uh, but the library and Canopy do pay a fee for having your film there. So every time it is watched, you get, you know, pennies, but you get something. So um, you put 100 pennies together, it's a dollar. Uh, that's that's one thing I learned. So, you know, you're good at math. <laughs> Christian, uh, obviously, the distributor's job is to use the relationships, create relationships, find <clears throat> deals. Is there anything stopping you from reaching out to any of these distributors you just mentioned? Great question. <laughs> David, do you want to answer that? Sure, sure. Um, I uh, with with our distributor, I said, you know, I have connections because I've sold films on on many other different levels. I'd be happy to reach out to them. Obviously, you're still the distributor. And they politely said, we'd prefer you not to reach out on your own. And we would like to pursue our own own venues. I don't quite understand that because it's not like they're not making money. <laughs> it's well, is that is that in the contract? They said, no, you may, you can't, or is it just a preference? It's a preference. It's a preference. Um, I don't, I don't remember seeing anywhere where it says we're not allowed to discuss with, because again, a distributor is work works for you, right? You know, they are working for you. So the idea is for all say you and they to get together to make as much money as possible. I'd have to double check our contract, but I don't remember seeing anywhere where it says the producer or owner of the film cannot pursue other avenues to get the distributor more money. Because it, no. it, makes, it makes me think of selling a house. Anytime we sold a house, I always ask the realtor, well, what happens if I find the buyer? You know, how does that play out? And it, it's different each time, but I understand the realtor's job is to find a buyer, but I know people too, you know, and so I want to sell the house. So you're right. Why would they not want my assistance? Um, Christian, yeah, but it, say? yeah, in most situations, though, with realtors, they're like, yeah, you can get it, but I still get my cut. Absolutely. So, that, that's okay if that's part yeah. of the agreement. Yes, exactly. So well, I, 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 go ahead, Christian. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's absolutely the case that happened with our deal with Delta, if you think about it. So I made this special relationship with, you know, Virginia Durr, who works for Delta is a Normandy citizen, and she really pushed it through and we took it to the distributor and they did the deal. So did they bring the sale? No, it would not have happened without me. Um, did they, in the end, negotiate the contract and are they fulfilling the contract? 
Yes. So there is work on their end. They are earning their 25%, but I did bring in the lead. Now I, I plan to keep doing that, you know, keep knocking on doors until, um, you know, we can, we can find somebody to give us a listen. And I mean, I certainly don't think they're going to be upset if I come to them with money on the table. Um, so yeah, I, I actually don't see, and again, we were being polite, but now we're not being polite. We're starting to move forward on our own level. I can't see anyone actually saying, Hey, stop making us money. I, I, I have a little issue with anyone who says, guys, stop, you're making us money. Um, I've never encountered that before. So uh, I think what it is, is they don't want to look like they don't know what they're doing. Right. And no one wants to look like that. Um, so they prefer to pursue their own venue. However, again, if they're making money, I don't think they should say stop. Hey, OK, you made us some money, but don't go out there and make us any more money. I, I just don't see that happening. And again, I, I, I don't remember seeing anywhere in the contract where they said you guys can't go out and make us all money. So um, I think, you know, we're going to keep pursuing that because it's the way to make money, it seems, at this pace. Yeah. And I want to say one last thing before we moved on, we're going to do a little bit of a retrospective. It's why we have Jeff here today. And uh, we want to just look at how far we've come, but, you know, I remember when I was, but not, you know, even long before I became a filmmaker, the getting distribution was the be all end all, you know, you just, you hear, oh, we got distribution or we're, you know, we're with these people now. And it seemed like, you know, as long as a filmmaker could just get distribution, everything was going to be okay. And so I think a lot of filmmakers and I was in that boat will just are so happy to have um, distribution that they don't think critically about the relationship. And it's sort of that way as an actor, you just want an agent, you know, Oh, I just want an agent. I'm desperate for an agent. And finally you get an agent and you realize after you've been with them for a little while that this may not have been the best agent for you. And so, you know, yes, do your due diligence in terms of talking to other filmmakers, but um, you really do just need to make sure that it is the right distributor for you. And I would certainly say, make sure to get as short a contract the initial time as possible um, because you don't really know how that relationship is going to pan out until it actually has started. So that's my two cents on that. It also seems like you have to take everything with a giant grain of salt because you, you could have the best World War II documentary, a decent distributor, and maybe right now the vibe out there is not documentaries or World War II and it's, you know, people are leaning towards horror films or, or reality TV or whatever it is. And it just, it just didn't catch a wave, you know, and, and it's hard to know if it's because it's art, it's subjective, you know, and who, who knew that this, you know, this film made on VHS cameras by students in the woods would become the greatest horror film of all time. No one, you know, it just, it just happened to, all the stars happened to align. It wasn't because they had a good distribution deal, you know? So it, there's a lot to come into play. It seems like the lessons you've learned are things you apply going forward, but there's just so much involved. To... Yeah, it's not, it's not a grain of salt. It's more like a cinder block of salt. As far as <laughs> you just always have to be wary of any deal, right? I mean, I had a movie with 
No, I'm not going to say it. A major distributor, and uh, they buried it. You know, I had three Academy Award winners in it, and they decided to go um, to day and date release, and uh, you know, basically killed, you know, killed the movie. And so, you know, here I thought, oh my God, this is a huge company. I'm I'm going to be taken care of, and they chose not to. So it really is a matter of finding. Um, oh, and, and in that case, when you talk about different venues, since it was a book that was taught in schools, I wrote down or I went online and found out the top 50 libraries in the country and reached out to their buyers. Um, and I sold over 10,000 DVDs uh, because like New York City bought 400 copies of the DVD for their for their uh, branches. And so, but I had to do that myself and it did not take four and a half minutes. Um, so, you know, again, it just goes back to the cinder block of salt that you just know that you should have to depend on yourself, not as soon as you sign over to the distributor, but for the lifetime of that movie. Um, the one great thing about a Christian's film, our film, is it's evergreen. It is historical. It is about D-Day. That comes around every year. Okay. So that is how we can continue to take advantage of that until we don't really. And that's up to us to do it. And pennies make pennies. And this can be pennies and pennies for 20, 30 years because people will still be talking about D-Day. I'll be we dead. Can hope. We at least want to make it to 20, the 100th anniversary. Exactly. Exactly. For the 100th anniversary. All right, Josh, will you take us back? I mean, we we have now, we kind of started this in 2018. Um, and, you know, maybe a little bit before because my first trip to uh, France was in 2015. But let's look at how far we have come. Well, I, I appreciate you using the word we. Uh, I feel like maybe Jason and I could say we're sitting in the bleacher seats going, yay, go team, <laughs> right? You know, like uh, we're just observers on here. So we're not really part of the we, but uh, it's been fun to watch the ride. And just from my perspective, knowing Christian Taylor as someone who is a, is a mother, a wife, a matchmaker, a former actress, <laughs> former everything. I, I I can't believe how long I've known you. I keep learning about all these careers you've had. I'm like, how, when will the list end? But again, decided to pursue film or not film, voiceover voice acting, which is a really a hard thing to do. And and having some experience at Big Idea, meeting other voiceover actors who think, oh, I'll just be a voiceover actor. And super hard, but you did it, made a career out of that. Uh, and then had this film idea. Again, I still kind of like, well, that's really sweet. I, you know, hopefully <laughs> she'll have a fun time visiting France and get some footage. But every step of the way, whether it's painful or exciting or miraculous at times, it's it's been a fun journey. I think, you know, we've got Jeff here and, and he's just a, an example, a great example of all good that has come out of this film. I think, wow. Well, no, I'm sorry. Let me rephrase that. Not oh, no, you can keep it. Good good <laughs> <laughs> of the good things that have come of it, your, your, your story represents a, uh, all of that in that you were not a successful film composer. Christian didn't know you, but that's what Christian's good at is getting people together and bringing the best out of them. So I'm gonna hand it over to you, Jeff. Like, just remind people of how you got connected to Christian and briefly, briefly, briefly share your retro. I can't even talk today. Retrospective. Thank you. Spectro retro. Uh, yeah. So 
I met Christian in 2018, I believe. And um, I found out about the film because she was talking about it on the Holy Post podcast. And so I was a listener for years. And finally, she starts talking about this film. And uh, Josh, very similar. I was like, oh, that's cool. She's got this idea. And, you know, I heard the early kind of ideas that she had. And, oh, you want to make this movie. And you don't really... I mean, I hear that everyone, we all hear that a lot. I'm going to make an album. I'm going to make a movie. I'm going to write a screenplay, you know, but how many people actually follow through? So, but when Christian kept talking about it and then it's, she's like, okay, I'm doing it and we're going to go film and um, I need help. And she put out the all call for, Hey, I just need people to help. And so I thought I've been writing music for video games and had not written a film. I'd done short films and student films, but nothing, um, no feature films. And so um, as a video game composer, I thought I could write a film, but I just had not had the chance. So catch 22, you can't write a film unless you've written a film. And so um, I didn't have the experience. So I contacted Christian. I wrote her, well, my wife prompted me. We, we've all heard the story, right? And so my wife prompted me to contact Christian, which I do. Everyone's eternally grateful for my wife. Yay, Jenna. For and sure. So, <laughs> and so uh, we meet um, in the epic story of Las Vegas dinner, uh, which we've told before on this podcast as well. If you haven't heard that story, we've done an animatic. There is a video of it. It's just a great story. So go back and listen to the initial episode with Jeff if you've missed that. But anyway, yes. Yeah. An eight hour, eight hour round trip for dinner uh, to meet Christian and some of the crew. But so that was my initial involvement was kind of hearing the all call for help and just saying, do you need a composer? She says, I'd like like to meet you. Uh, We do need help. And then getting involved. And so I was involved at that stage in early 2018. I think this was like May or somewhere around there. Yeah, March, March. April. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then I went in 2018, in June, I went and met up with Christian and the crew over in Normandy uh, while they were doing principal photography. So um, that's when I got involved. Now, there's a ton of work before that and a ton of work after that. So I kind of fall somewhere in the middle. But what was interesting to, to me, looking back on it, is kind of like what we, we just talked about. Everyone has ideas and everyone says, oh, I'd love to do this someday or I'd like to do this. And um, But the real th- interesting thing to me is how much thought dough there was at that time. And she's shooting all kinds of stuff. And Christian has like an idea of what this would come to be. but uh, seeing it now, how it's taken shape, it's really shed its skin multiple times. The film has, um, and Christian and Bill worked very hard, um, to, you know, come up with a a solid vision. And when David came on board and, you know, helped streamline everything there too, as well. So, um, again, everyone has ideas and a lot of people have good ideas, but to actually bring those ideas across the finish line to take the boulders and chains and put them on your back and actually start dragging people across the finish line. That's the difficult part. You give birth to this, this idea, this creative baby. Um, but it's not enough. You have to nourish it and raise it and actually see it through off to college before you can actually probably, you know, got to get it out of the house before you can call yourself maybe a success in a way. But um, so here Christian had this film and she gave birth to it, but then actually, all the hard work that went into uh, nourishing it and refining it and honing it and then gets it across the finish line. And that to me is the most impressive part of all the ways this could have crumbled along the past few years, all the different uh, turns it could have taken for the worse. Um, It 
took the exact turns it needed to, and Christian was able to persevere and get the right people on her team um, and make sure that, you know, this crew was going to bring this film across the finish line. And that doesn't happen a lot. I hear a lot of good ideas. I have a lot of good ideas and I don't bring them across the finish line. So <clears throat> there's something about that drive um, when it comes to people and projects that I think is contagious. I appreciate that, Jeff, but I do have to say, you know, and Josh, you said this before, I do think one of my gifts is bringing people together. And were I not able to um, sort of cast a vision that everyone could see um, that, you know, it made people want to join in this effort, um, we would not be here because it couldn't just be me. I agree with you, Jeff, that I had to be, you know, absolutely relentless about not quitting, you know, all the time and thankful for my husband who never let me quit. But, you know, I had to press on despite all the challenges, but um, it took a big, big village of a lot of people who saw the vision and wanted to be part of it. And, um, you know, I, Josh, you're like, oh, we're on the sidelines. We're not doing anything. Documentary first has been hugely important. And you and Jason have been here from the beginning. I mean, it started out just us talking to ourselves and, you know, uh, telling stories so that we wouldn't lose this background stuff. But you guys have been here to help chronicle this journey to help us get out the word about the things that we needed, um, you know, helping us find volunteers. Um, and you've been very supportive to me, your support and encouragement. You had me on the movie proposal last week um, and, you know, sort of sharing that with all of your audiences. Um, and I couldn't do it without you really. It just, and it wouldn't be as rewarding. Um, and you know, I, so. I didn't want to brag, but yeah, you're right. This film wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jason and I. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. Speaking of taking a village, uh, I want to remind us, David, how did you get involved and what drew you to be a part of this project? Well, uh, I, I always, you know, primarily was in live action, but uh, this was not my first documentary. It was, I guess, my third and uh, so I always am looking for interesting stories that, that should be told and need to be told. Um, I also am always looking for my best, you know, in for anything. So I was looking at my college uh, magazine to see who has become someone really important in the business. You know, at the back <laughs> of college magazines, they say who just got a new job. And so, so, but actually in one of the open big articles was about Christian and the making of her movie. And uh, I read it and I was just very impressed for any first filmmaker to take on a project of this massive scale. So I shot her an email and I said, my name is David Patterson. I think we went to school together because she graduated the same time as, as I did. The crazy thing is we were in the drama department together, very small drama department, same classes, and yet we never met. <laughs> um, the reason for that is because I was usually hungover, so my head was on the table during classes, <laughs> and then I was usually drunk at night. So mm. she was usually stepping over me at parties and stuff like that. It so would be interesting if we compared our class lists and found out that we took classes together. I started thinking about that the other day. We, we probably... actually had the same friends. That's the crazy yeah. thing. We had the same friends, but we never met. Anyway, I sent her an email saying, this looks like a great project. Uh, I'm on the advisory board for several film festivals and uh, would be happy to um, help you in any way. And I said, and I'll even give you some money. 
um, to submit to film festivals. And she called me right up because I gave her my number. She goes, how about you hang on to your money, but how about you help me in this world? Because I finished this movie. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to be doing with it. And I said, okay. So first thing I said, after he sent it to me, I said, I'm on board. It's too long. So let's talk. And, uh, and cause I'm always, I'm Scottish. So I'm always critical too. And, uh, and that's where we took it from there. And, you know, we worked on the editing and then I started reaching out on the festival things and we were able to get into certain festivals for free, the submission for free, because I had had my films in their festivals before. And of course with COVID, we had to figure out how to negotiate this unknown world of film festivals, film, film festival light, I guess you would call it, uh, this, the past 14 months. And so that's how we met and that's why we're still together. And it's been a wild, wild Mr. Toad's ride, but it still isn't over. And we got many, many miles ahead. Yep. And I would say once again, you know, I've said this before, I'll say it again, partnering with someone who's been in the business a lot longer than you have, if you're a first time filmmaker, um, you know, it is super important. And, you know, we brought David on, um, you know, as a producer because he did help with the edit in the end. Um, and in a sense, that's good for David too. I mean, you know, he's not getting paid for this. He's got skin in the game and he's doing it because he cares about this project and he feels like it's important, but it goes on his IMDB. He can go on his resume and, you know, he's part of this project now. And yeah, so but I'm Scottish. So don't tell people I'm not taking money for this. I need, <laughs> I need a reputation. To keep um, you didn't get paid in your last project, David. Uh, it sounds like you're <laughs> willing to do that again. Yeah. You work for free. So. <laughs> no, but I mean, if, if, if people came to me and said, we'd like to add you to our project, uh, would you be willing to guide us? Um, you know, I'm still young in my producing career that it would be good for me to have a producer credit, um, you know, uh, on a film that I believe is going to do something special. So um, you're, I think there are a lot of people out there that might be willing to partner with you like David was with me. So if you're a young filmmaker listening to this, keep your eye out for that. I think I what's interesting, say, if I can just jump in real quick, especially documentarians, believe it or not, if you reach out to better known documentarians, they're still nice. They may actually uh, respond and, and reach back to you via email or phone and possibly offer some mentoring tips or connections to people. People in the regular film business, they're all terrible people. But in the documentary field, <laughs> people know how, how tough it is, what a struggle it is. And they tend to be a lot more sharing, a lot more caring and, and want to help out people that are starting out because they know how tough it is. Yeah. What were you going to say, Josh? I just want to make the observation that, you know, as a regular film goer, you know, most of us, you see, first of all, an amazing list of people it takes to make a film. But you also assume without thinking about it, really, that all those people were there from day one. And I think it's interesting, you know, someone like David showed up, you know, well beyond the beginning of the film, you know, <laughs> yeah. but it's just someone to help carry the football further down the field. Same with, with Jeff and, and many other people, but you just assume you got all these people lined up, ready to go. They're on board, but you know, you, you really couldn't have gotten David on board. Probably if you called him, like, I got an idea. <laughs> I mean, you actually had to have something done and you've gotten it further enough along and say, Hey, I think I can now 
make a contribution, it would make a difference. Yeah, I would say the life of a film is not too dissimilar from the life of a person. When you start out as a young child, all the people there at the moment of your birth are not the same people that are around you uh, when you get married or when you pass away. Uh, you know, everything changes and morphs, your relationships change, um, you know, circumstances in your life change. And I just, I think people need to understand that if you're going to spend this much time and money invested in a project, you need to understand it'll be with you uh, probably <laughs> for your life. And people will come and go in the life of that project uh, over time. Um, and ultimately, its success, I think, is up to you the perseverance that you have, um, and a lot of, uh, you know, luck or fate of the gods or the hand of God, whatever you want to look at it as, um, you know, it's sort of that big stew all mixed together. So just to pick up what Josh mentioned, film is a lot like football. Okay. There's like four quarters, right? There's pre-production, post-production, uh, post-production and marketing and selling of your film. And, and if you look at a football team there's 30 guys all right they're not all on the on the field at the same time you know there's a lot of other guys that are going to come in in the second quarter third quarter fourth quarter so i just came up with that i think it's pretty cool i should write that down but <laughs> you're, you're, so you're a master of analogies <laughs> <laughs> but you know that that's it you, there's a lot of team members that don't come in till later in the game to to get it done and that's that's the way you have to look at it but there is a lot of people that you don't know are there until you see the credits roll yeah that's true Good All discussion, right. guys. Thanks so much for spending time with us today. Yes, thank you for, for being here and looking back and uh, learning about distribution and so forth. Before we go, Jason, do you have any thoughts, retrospective thoughts on, on the difference that you've made, how you've made this <laughs> film come together? Go ahead. Well, one thing I really want to know is um, I think I made a big difference on this podcast dropping out right as the intros were happening because I got to hear <laughs> Josh's joke about how, how great Jeff is that I was gone. So <laughs> I, I don't know what happened for like five or 10 minutes after that. <laughs> well, what I was saying is, is that we couldn't do this without you, but what we learned is, is we, yes, we actually can do this yeah. without you. So you did just fine. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Uh, I, I was just thinking back of uh, the first time I had, I had just started about, um, I had just started working on the Holy post. I'd been there maybe a month or two and Christian came back from France and she was wearing this military jacket. She had a flag. She was, she <laughs> was all decked out. And I remember just being like, huh, <laughs> this, this seems like this really impacted her. <laughs> and yeah. then it ended up impacting all of us. And we all got to come together and be a team uh, through that. And so I'm just really thankful for that journey because it could have just been a cool moment in, in your life and you turned it into a several years long event that brought <laughs> so many people together. Yeah, so. for sure. I think that's one of the big blessings. We've we've established a very big community, not only here, but also in France and uh, made a lot of relationships. Uh, you know, the brave Dutch now is going to hopefully be possible and it is now born out of this team that we put together and the experiences of the girl who wore freedom. So um, it's been very, very rewarding. And so along that note, I would say people definitely need to embrace important moments of your life. And if you think that you want to make a film about it, you probably can, as long as you don't quit. <laughs> 
Christian, as we wrap up here, can you remind everyone about where to go if they'd like to make a donation or learn more about the film? And we now have Patreon. So if you could bring that up as well. Yeah. So Patreon is hugely important to us right now. We have 10 supporters. They're giving us $309 a month. We really could use a few more Patreon supporters and the perks are really kind of cool. So Jason, uh, could you give us how they can find us on Patreon, please? Uh, And also, um, you got it now pulled up? Yeah. Uh, so it's patreon.com forward slash doc first podcast. Doc first podcast it is. Um, please go by there. We're giving some extra content too to our Patreon supporters. And so we're going to record some of that right after um, with Jeff, Jason, and David. So stick around. Uh, well, actually, you have to join Patreon for that. So do that. Uh, you can go and find out more about our film from the girlywarfreedom.com. Visit our shop. We have cool items there. And please go to iTunes and rent or buy the movie. Uh, you can just search us up, but also, um, you know, rate us and give us a review because that always helps us. So that's it for me for today. Awesome. Well, thank you, Jeff. Thank you, David, for being here with us today. And thank you, the listener, for listening to Documentary First, where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it. Just don't quit. Yes, you can. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you so much for listening, for donating, and for following along on our journey. If you are able to make a donation this week, we would really appreciate it. We are supported by donors who give us $100 or less, so anything helps. Also, if you're able to share the news about The Girl Who Wore Freedom with your friends and family, please do that on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, or email. And sign up for our newsletter at thegirlwhowarefreedom.com. Please go to thegirlwhowarefreedom.com slash donate to make a donation today.